this is the Mike and Do podcast. I'm talking to Ricky Maynard about his photography show, No More Than What You See, currently at Bet Gallery in Hobart. Ricky's work is a sequence of documentary photographs he took of incarcerated Aboriginal people. It shows their enclosed world and their restricted lives, and is the result of Ricky working with prisoners behind the fences and walls. I worked in prisons myself some years ago now, teaching inmates theatre skills and writing. I'm aware of how restrictive working in these environments can be, so I was astonished by what Ricky had managed to do. Did you smuggle the camera in initially, or did you have uh, No, not really. Um, I did um, smuggle my way into the infirmary once to, to photograph um, uh, a man I got to know very well. Um, and the word got out, uh, Ricky get into the infirmary from the boys in the yard, because um, they all became good friends, you know. And um, anyway, uh, so I didn't actually smuggle, I used to get a small camera and um, I actually had a flash that day. Sometimes they take half my gear away from me just for the sake of being difficult mm-hmm. and uh, making it hard for me. And, uh, but anyway, um, I just walked past all the prison officers and said, oh, the, the warden sent me down there to see Louis in the uh, infirmary. Can I go see him? And they let me in after I said the, the warden mm-hmm. allowed me entry. And of course I got in. Louis a very accepting man, he's a very articulate man he was. Mm-hmm. About this say that he wake up woke up in the prison um, uh, screaming horror and about being in this place and started self mutilating his arms. Um, I think you, you would need to photograph this Ricky. And I said yes I will. And so I just uh, got the flash out, bounced it off the ceiling, took the picture and the warden um, opened the door and said Mr Maynard please come here. <laughs> but I didn't care because I had the picture. Um, something, uh, a story that just needed to be told. How did you come up with this project? It was basically uh, in 1991. Um, I did the project in 93, two years after the Royal Commission. The last report handed down the Royal Commission. And there was 300 odd recommendations uh, that came from the report, you know, a, a three year Royal Commission. And anyway, nothing had been done in those two years. So we sort of knew what the reading of the story was going to be like. It was what we commonly come known in um, Aboriginal life as a, a token gesture by the government, the seeing that they're making an effort. And really they had no concern about addressing any of the recommendations from the Royal Commission. So that really, really did, um, you know, inspired me to sort of say, okay, look, or somebody's got to get off the bum and do something, and I'm going to do it. Um, you know, to expose this uh, whole awareness of prison and the way it affects Aboriginal people's lives, because at the end of the day, we grew up with incarceration as a part of our lives. Yeah. Now, that's, that sounds a bit crazy, doesn't it? And that's the bottom line of it. I knew only too well, you know, I had a couple of brothers who went to prison. I've had cousins, I've had nephews go into prison, you know. So incarceration is very much a part of Aboriginal family life, which sounds insane, but that's true. So I knew the background to the whole story, of course, quite intimately. But after the non-response to the Royal Commission, it was about me making a response to the non-response and keep people's attention to it. And at that stage, it was 14% of incarceration, which in those terms, in those days, was extremely alarming. But now, of course, 30 years later, it's exactly 28% and over 500 deaths in custody. So it's effectively doubled? Oh, doubled, absolutely. It's shameful. It's a national embarrassment and it's breathtaking. It's just 
totally insane. It's just nobody cares. So at the end of the day, that's what you know, governments and government departments do. We only know that too well. But we live with that too. And this is the classic case of it. It's something that's so as serious as this. You know, incarceration, thefts in custody, you know, the brutal racism of the, you know, the hands of those people. How do you feel looking at these now, 30 years later? Um, well, I'm very pumped, actually. Um, we had a small catalogue that I've had for all those years, and um, so I've had that with me all the time, but that sort of goes into my archive drawers as well, with some prints. But for the whole rebirth of this, well, awareness campaign, really, mm. um, it, it's really... Look, it's, it's, um, it's been a quite an emotional several weeks leading up to the exhibition, and even on the night of the exhibition, it would be a fairly emotional night for me. Uh, mainly because of those shameful, shameful uh, statistics about, um, and mainly from my point of view, is um, uh, about the deaths in custody over that period, which is over 500 people. Yeah. Uh, you know, and this, a Royal Commission, and millions of dollars later, and 300 odd recommendations, and nothing, everything's been absolutely ignored. Yeah. Um, it's a national disgrace and um, it's breathtaking, it's shameful um, and, you know, but Aboriginal people live their lives a lot like that. Does art change anything? No, it didn't change a thing. Mm. Uh, I think the pictures were fairly not only important but to address it to the public through some major exhibitions at the time was really important and I think without a doubt the as you know, the creative field of people who come to galleries and witness good artwork was all well receiving of it. Uh, they were shocked, but they're still well receiving of it and understanding the situation now. Uh, as always in your life, you take chances about getting this into a, a big awareness campaign. And of course, I'm not a political activist. You know, I'm an artist with a camera, and I'm responding and discovering the world as I see it. I mean, in those days too, as well as the 80s, I remember, we didn't have a place to actually display our photographs. For some strange reason, Australia didn't accept photography as an art medium in, that, in those days. So they finally um, woke up to it in the early 90s when they started having gallery presentations of photography. And of course that happened up a new, whole new world and a whole new group of incredible curators who brought that to the forefront then. So. It was a different period, of course. Do you think the acceptance of art by Aboriginal people has gotten stronger or better? Do you uh, think anything's changed? The people who actually do, you know, on the ground with those Aboriginal people, it's still very, very important. It's a part of their life in that situation, you know. Yeah. And even, so for me, with a camera, you know, this is about me as an Aboriginal person and all my projects have been self-initiated and they can... I've always stated that they can only come from my experience as an Aboriginal who to present that kind of um, viewpoint of uh, the world is the way I see it. And of course we work within the, um, the realm of documentary or the genre of documentary photography which is a field of high ethics about seeking the truth and making sure your work functions along that way with a high ethics of representation. It's probably the only genre of photography that's really open to you know high ends of uh, critical debate and, uh, which is good, photo discourse. So you learn, you're totally involved in the whole process of making images. Um, you know, these are in no way associated with photojournalism. 
they know, I know a couple of really good photojournalists, but the, the approach system of photojournalism as opposed to the documentary approach is very, very different. They're poles apart. Mm. You, you seem to have put quite an effort in the composition, the way the mm. images look. You know, there's mm. some striking things where you don't see an entire person's face. You just mm. see a part yeah. of their body and something like that. Yeah. Like, how spontaneous is something like that? How much time do you put into making a photograph? Uh, an incredible long time. All the work that you see is um, done through um, great experience of collaboration as well as the pictures can only ever come from that total engagement. And I spent long, long periods of time. I went into the prison system for uh, prisons for oh, four or five weeks, I think, without a camera. Uh, and talking to people, uh, and usually I'll carry a little picture book around of a previous project and, and show the way I, I, I um, uh, make my images and tell stories in storytelling form. And in the old days, in the olden days, we used to call it photo essay. So, and I still do in some sense, you know, but um, uh, I think that approach system, and for the fact that I am Aboriginal for a start, um, it, I think showing the way I put, I want, and I tell people I want to be your voice. I'll be my voice the way I interpret it in an image, mm. in a photograph, uh, to be your voice. Uh, so it's, it's, it's really, it's established as a real genuine friendship and co-authorship to the old picture. And in fact, I developed my own collaborative approach of what I call the co-authorship of an image, where I'll say to people simply, uh, this is just much your picture, it is mine. So you establish this real sort of genuine relationship with people and a long, long time of many days, many hours, many weeks till you get to the point of showing up with a camera and say, okay, let's start beginning to do some work. You seem to be taking a huge emotional risk doing something like that. It always is, yeah. Yeah. Because it's part of who you are. Uh, And you, you, in a a sense, are showing that to the world. I mean, really, that's art in its... In his essence too, yeah. um, you know. Once you do work, you put yourself and your your works on the wall. Um, you know, you're you're open. You're putting yourself on the walls, and uh, so you've got to be prepared to yeah. uh, back that up. Yeah, I guess you do. <laughs> but there's that there's that um, moment too where you you're interacting with people who are in a, a I guess a terrifying situation. Mm. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like, uh, it is for all of them. I can't really imagine what that's like mm. for someone to actually mm. be incarcerated. I mean, like, I've been mm. in prisons, but mm. I've never been to jail. I've never yeah. been incarcerated. Yeah. Whereas that's so real a possibility for you mm. uh, and, and members of your family, as you said earlier. Mm. You know, mm. when you're talking to people this has happened to, mm. how does that feel? You mean in the sense talking to them personally about their own experience? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, look, it's emotional for them too, because I mean, we're sitting down in private conversations, even though I'm amongst a large group of uh, men and women, but we'll talk aside and talk silently and uh, sort of that intimate approach to uh, what we're about to do. And um, yeah, look, it's it's emotional for them too, because I mean, they obviously had quite a good life outside, well, not a great life, but you know, a freedom at least, but to be a witness of this story inside a prison, mm-hmm is indeed what I found to be very emotional for them mm. as well. 
Did you remain in touch with anyone that you met through this? No, process? no. It was I think it was about two years after that I went down to um, Melbourne to join the M33 Documentary Agency mm-hmm. and again bigger opportunities to do more work inside a, a specialist documentary agency. Um, and I always wish. I mean, if you if you approached every project like that, you'd be travelling Australia for. <laughs> a few years, I'd say. Yeah. Uh, you know, and you, I mean, you always wonder about those people because you become close friends with them. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I know all those people by their first names, and 30 years ago, I can, with those photographs, I can remember exactly what was talking about those conversations. Right. Well, yeah, yeah. So, so those conversations are still in the pictures for you. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I say you can't, you cannot make a good picture unless it comes from a good conversation. Yeah, wow. That's my theory, and yeah. <laughs> uh, the way you work, you know. So it's interesting. Um, yeah, even when you go on to do further work with very large, big bellows cameras and you're doing portraits, yeah. you have to have a very intimate kind of conversation with people in the making of a photograph where I'm trying to break down my role as the camera operator because I basically think photographing is a sort of a, an unequal act. Of, uh, what do you mean by that? Well, usually... That's interesting. Well, because mainly if you take a, a, a pure photojournalist in, mm. in, in that sense, they're almost invaded in your life to get the picture they get to the editor. It's a total invasion of someone's sort of life, it's, that I think, yeah. unless they've done a long, long uh, approach to it, but they don't get paid to do long approaches. You know, photojournalists I'm talking mm. about. So... That's why I had the benefit of a lot of time and that's why I prefer the work because I know at the end of the day that image I do get, that photograph, that moment. And I'm a moment guy. It's got to be in that moment. It's got to be a sharing process. Uh, and I look for that moment. And because I've already developed the relationship, that moment will happen and I know it will. i just got to be ready for it. It's very respectful. <laughs> you really, you know, like the, the you're subjects which is a funny word really mm-hmm. you know like it's like it's you seem to be really trying to grant them a lot of personal autonomy and control over what's, what's yeah, going on without a doubt yeah, yeah. I, I, it's a very for me it's always whereas it has something to do with the fact that i am aboriginal myself and i know this world too um and, and come to know it but um our past traumas in history itself um it, it, it's about being what others can't do uh, like a photojournalist or a reporter or, or that sort of um, non-personal kind of yeah. um, talking about their, their own personal lives. So uh, I take that seriously and I know and I wanted to be a really important photographer uh, of my time so it had to be informed by the truth yeah. and, and the genuineness of of um, being with people and uh, engaging and collaborating with them. So I took the whole career of documentary photography very very seriously yeah oh well it's yeah. it's had magnificent results mm. too mm. i mean like mm. i hadn't seen this collection mm. before mm. I, the the work of yours i'm most familiar with you know forgive me the name of it escapes me but it's currently on at the t-mag as part of the twist exhibition oh, yeah. okay. and it's the man standing in the water with you know like facing out to sea yeah. looking towards his home this yeah. this is powerful yeah that's uh, me <laughs> yeah, yeah. How'd you take that? <laughs> uh, I got someone to trip the shutter. Uh, I had it set up so we can uh, uh, help me with the shutter and the timing of it. Um, so that was uh, a bit of help from a friend. So, but um, 
you know, it's the importance of the picture. And uh, I mean, I walked up that beach on Flinders Island up and back. It took me a year to get to this point to know I knew exactly what I had to had to photograph wow. because uh, the text in that image uh, refers to a group of people who were at the Waibalina mission mission at the at that time, and they said. When we left our country, which is just across the water, uh, and we see it from the islands, that's yeah. our northeast part of our spiritual homeland, uh, the, it, the text says, when we left our home, we were plenty of people. We are now but a little one. Yeah. And that, see, that's, that, that draws from that experience of being in that place the way we felt about our old people anyway. Yeah. Uh, all that experience comes in, and that's all in that image. <laughs> that's, what, that's what you bring to the work and, um, but I think that's one of the most underpinning questions of an artist's life anyway you know, and you say oh who made this image you know, and what did they bring to the work I think that's always been a uh, particular consideration of mine or a notion about you know, how they began their work and what they actually bring to the work and when you realise the kind of people they are and the way they've done a serious study of their profession and their career uh, which I took upon to do the same thing, um, you realise that yeah, they bought all of them mm. and I need to bring all of me. Wow. <laughs> well, that's, um, that's pretty good. I might uh, say I've taken up a tremendous amount of your time and say thank you a tremendous amount for giving me a little bit of your time mm. while you prepare for this show. Mm. Um, what Just in closing, what do you hope will happen with showing this body of work again? Uh, well, it is the rebirth, and, and as again, I always knew that I'd be working, my work's always going to be made for the future, because of the current situation of Australia as a fairly racist country. So I always knew... Fairly? That, yeah, oh, without <laughs> a doubt. Extremely. Oh, yeah. You know, you know it ain't too well, but... Uh, so I always thought that I was making work for the future anyway, um, and someone, someday will, it'll act as a catalyst and someone will pick up that bat and then go forward anyway, you know what I mean? You're living yeah. that hope. Mainly because as photographers who, um, you know, study the whole, the whole significance of photography from a young photographer influenced by many great photographers, early 20th century photographers influenced my life entirely, and um, the way they changed the world through their images. And I always studied American photography, uh, documentary photography, and um, how these people, um, you know, change new laws and that like they stopped poverty. They they stopped at a certain time, you know, in the, in the early 20th century. But uh, also they uh, they they got abolished, um, ended up abolishing child labour and these sorts of things. So it was a really that sent a really great message to me, you know, to say this is what something I can I can study on because I was already in love with photography and image making uh, that I can I can really sort of specialise and you know, take that those principles of, of of what you can do and how a picture can really and we all have this un, undying faith in the fact that a picture someday will always change the world in some way but you live with that faith so. I think you do thanks to Ricky for having a chat Bet Gallery for allowing me to use their stockroom as a mobile recording studio and Pip Stafford for producing this podcast. This is the Make and Do pod, and you can listen to it at makeanddo.art and at all good podcast apps. You can also subscribe to Make and Do for writing about art and culture and a guide to what's on in Tasmanian visual art. 
Free and paid subscriptions are available at the website. Make.